The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray and ask for God's help. As you get ready to hear from his word, will you pray with me? Father, here we are. We've come uh, to meet with you and to hear from you. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And so we sit here before you and we ask you to speak to us right now. Show us again who you are, what you've done, and what you have for us. And God, give us new hope, new, new power, new, um, new ideas on, on believing what you can and want to do through us because of what you've done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question behind our text this morning is this. How should Christians respond to outsiders? What should, what should our approach be towards outsiders? And as I was looking at this text, I got stuck on that word, outsider. Outsider. How do you feel about that word? You like that word? Um, no one wants to be an outsider. The dictionary defines outsider as a person who does not belong to a particular group. Not belong. A person who's not accepted. What's the key word there? Not <laughs> accepted. You could probably remember a time in your youth when you desperately wanted to belong. There was a group or a person you considered in or important. And you wanted so badly to be in with them. It could happen in a million ways, can it? It could be a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a social group. But you want it to be in. And uh, if you're like me, maybe you, can, maybe you can remember ways you sold out so that you could get in. Because you wanted to be in so badly. Or maybe you were in, and if you're honest with yourself, you can remember rejecting other people who weren't in. Anybody ever do that? Am I the only one? Um, or maybe you were the one who could never get in, you thought, and you just felt rejected. But do you remember the passion behind it? Wanting to belong? Uh, question, is this just for the youth? It goes away when you, what, you reach what age, and you're like, oh, I don't need that anymore. I don't, I don't think it goes away. Um, human beings seem to have made a practice of accepting or rejecting based on all sorts of distinctives, right? Distinctions. Race, cultural particulars, hobbies, fashion, music, politics, social status, financial status, education, and probably a bunch of other things. Um, but these two things seem to be true for all of us. We're desperate to be in. We define that in different ways. We look for it in different places, but we want to be in. We want to belong. And second, we have a nasty habit of pushing others out. Pushing others out. And don't we wish we could say that church was always different? Oh, it's not always different. Um, if you're visiting with us today or if you can remember visiting a new church, you're looking around, am I going to fit in here? Could I ever belong? Are these people like me at all? Or some of us have had experiences where we tried to belong even at church and never seemed welcome. 
They were clicks or expectations you could never break through. Um, and let's just pause. Don't you hope that that's, it's not that way here? Don't you want it to not be that way here? Let's not let it be that way here. Then there's the other side of the coin. I have known, I know people who want to engage in a church community, but they have another circle they're in. And they need to be in that circle. And so commitment to a local church might compromise that, and so they're slow. We want to be in. But where, how, when? So how should Christians approach outsiders? That's this question in this word, outsiders, outsiders. I want to see this, uh, I want to look at this, the answer to this question from the Apostles' letter to the church uh, in the city of Colossa. And I want to think about three things as we get to the answer. Number one, I want to think about what it means to be truly inside. Truly inside. Why do we want this so badly? And how is it answered? What does it mean to be truly inside? Second, I want us to see briefly the passion that comes from being inside. When you get truly inside, what we're all looking for, it gives you a new passion. And third, that will form our approach. How should Christians respond? How should we approach outsiders? Because the whole world wants to be in, pushes people out, and Christianity should be different. So what does it mean to be truly inside? Well, you think about this desire with me, right? You want to be in. What is that? What does that mean? I think it means we want to be known. Don't you want to be known? Now, at some point, you break off here, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I don't want to be totally known, okay? There's like two people around here I want to total. One person. I, nope, there's no one here. I want to totally know me. <laughs> but yet, I want to be known. I do. I want to be valued, don't you? You want to be known and valued. Now, we're afraid, we're ashamed, so don't totally know me, but we want to be known. We want to be valued. Not only that, we want to be included by people we value. We want to be known, valued, and included by people we value. We want, to be, we want to participate. We want to be seen. We want to be enjoyed. We want to play a part. Isn't that true? Is that a bad desire, or is that... Is that good? It's not, it's not wrong. I think you were made for this. You were made for this. You were made to be in. But I think if we're just honest, right, we, have a, we also have this shameful sense that we don't belong. We don't want to be exposed for our insufficiency. You ever have anxieties about that? You don't want to be exposed for your insufficiency. And I think that's part of why the human race makes all these clubs with rules. Big, powerful clubs with rules. Small, childish clubs with rules. But we got lots of clubs with rules. And if you, whoever's making up the rules, if you can, if you can keep those rules, how you look, what you say, who you know right? If you can keep those rules, you can be in. And then you can have this reason to be uh, superior to or better than those who aren't in. They haven't kept those same rules like you did. And I, there's this shameful sense that we don't belong, so we, it's kind of like make-believe, trying to get in. It's a sham, but I want to be in. But, you know, you got into that social group. Did it change your life and make you happy forever? Did it bring in beautiful character, and, or was it kind of, in the end, kind of dirty? Did it let you down? 
What does it mean to be truly in? Well, first, I think we have to realize to be truly in that on our own, every one of us in here is the outsider. That's where we start. Look at this verse, Colossians 1.21. Paul, the apostle, is writing to a church of Christians. And what does he say to them? And you who were once, what? Alienated. What does that mean? You are an alien. You are not included. You are outside. You were once alienated. How many of you were alienated? Okay. And it's not because we weren't wanted. We were alienated in what? Hostile in mind. This is the reality of our hearts left to ourselves. We don't want or love God or want to be satisfied in him. We become hostile towards him. We want to replace him, demean him, deny him. We're, we're at enmity with him. And because we're hostile in mind towards him, what do we do? Evil deeds, done nasty things um, in our replacement of God, our hostility towards God. And we remember God is holy, and he hates sin, and he hates evil. And so those of us who have been hostile to God and have done evil deeds, we do not deserve and we cannot be in his holy presence. This is the true outsider. We were outsiders. And this reminds us of the point of this letter, the letter to the Colossians. This letter is about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus, how he's better than anything and he's ultimately all we need. Get a view with me of Jesus, the ultimate insider, okay? Look at Colossians 1.15. Can we just remember for a moment? Who is Jesus? He is what? The image of the invisible God. We throw phrases around like these all the time, but have you tried to unpack what's in this? If you want to see God, where do you look? Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who lived died and rose. That's where you see God, the, the person of Jesus. You know, we, when you want to get in, there's a group or a person that has value to you that you want to be accepted by. We all have those. They're very different sometimes, but there's a group or a person you, that you value and you want to be accepted by them. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a societal feeling or a fashion or a movement, but you want to be in. Listen, in comparison to Jesus, all of those are so stupid Aren't they? Who is he? He's the image of the invisible God. Look what he's done, verse 16. Thank you so much. You knew it. She heard my brain waves. <laughs> verse 16. What has he done? For by him, what? All things were created. That, that like raises the stakes on your, your power and your awesomeness. You know, humanity's like, look what we've done. Have you heard the old joke? They're like, God, we don't need you. Look what we've done. And he's like, get your own universe. You know, like, I made you and everything you've used to make all your stuff. He made it. He's so powerful, so wise. Not only that, look at the point. For by him all things were created, and all things were created, what? Through him, and then here's the kicker. For him, the point of everything is his glory, who he is, his beauty, his majesty. He's the point. Paul even says in verse 17, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
Um, I remember in the book of Daniel, Daniel the, the lonely prophet to the most powerful king uh, in the world at the time, and he says to him, um, God most high is the one who gives you your life and your breath. And you imagine Daniel being powerless on his own in exile, nobody, telling the most powerful person, you're only breathing because God is letting you breathe. You should acknowledge him. And here we have Paul saying, it's, it's Jesus who upholds all things. So, so you either believe this or you don't, but if you believe this, why are you breathing right now? Can you gather this in? Your heart is beating now and your brains are working now because Jesus is saying, work, breathe. We know things about Jesus. He's the son of God who's been with the, in the face of the Father from all eternity. I'm saying here he's the ultimate insider because, again, when you want to get in, you value somebody, you value a group, you want to be close to them because they're important to you. And I'm saying there's no person, there's no group, there's no movement that has more value or more weight or more worth or more awe than Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that true? I mean, he's the insider. He has seen. He's, he's the son of God, the beloved son of God. To be known by Jesus or with Jesus or loved by Jesus, how can you go higher than that? How can you get better than that? What group is more important than that? Or, or, or what opinion is more uh, decisive than that? This is it. This trumps all of it. And Jesus has an inner circle. Did you know this? Verse 18. What do you see about Jesus? One phrase I want to point out. He is the what? The head of the body. And who's the body? The church. Remember any other images of church from the New Testament? The bride. That's in. You made it in. The body being connected to him. He's our head. He's the head of the body, the church. He has a family. He has an in crowd, people who know him. They, his face is towards him. They see him. They love him. They're in. Is that you? Despite all your longings to be in, to be known, to be valued, to be loved, to participate, could it be that you're already in? How did it happen? Look at verse 21. Again, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, what has Jesus done? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. So we were the outsiders, right? Alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds. Verse 22, what does Jesus do for us? He has now reconciled us. And how did he do it? In his body of flesh by his death. Do you remember what he did? He's the insider, the valuable one, the son of God, perfect, holy, blameless. And we're, the, we're alienated, we're outsiders, right? What do you deserve from Jesus at that point? What do you deserve from him at that point? Your hostility, your, your, your evil deeds. What could you ever say to him? Give me what I deserve. Do you want what you deserve as an outsider? And yet the insider, before the face of the father... 
What's his approach towards the outsider? Towards you, towards me. He's reconciled you in the body of flesh by his death. He came and was ripped to pieces to bring you near, to bring you in, to make you right, to make you a friend, to earn your adoption. He's reconciled you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, that verse continues. I think sometimes we still think we're the, um, the second-hander when it comes to being a Christian. Here's what I mean. I think some of you sometimes, I know it happens in me, you feel, well, okay, God's decided not to mush me. You know, He'll let me show up. He doesn't value me. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Uh, he denies his father, right? Leaves and he squanders all his father's wealth and he's sitting with the pigs. And it says he comes to his senses. You know, you're eating pig slop and you're like, bling, this is a bad move. <laughs> I'm going to go home. And then he says, um, this is what I'll say to my dad. I've messed it up so bad I'm not worthy to be your son. So can I just be your slave? Because I messed it up so bad. There's no way I could hope to be all the way in. I couldn't hope to be all the way loved and included and forgiven. Because I've messed it up too bad. Can I just be a slave where you could like not be my enemy? You let me, you know, feed me three squares and give me a bed. That would be good enough. And then the prodigal son comes home and he's practiced his speech. You know, I've messed it up too bad. Can I just be your slave? And what's the father do? Shut up, not a chance. Here's a robe, here's a ring. Bring him shoes, kill the calf. You're all the way in, man. You're all the way restored. Jesus has brought you all the way in. All the way in. You have everything you need in Jesus to be able to look the holy God of the universe straight in the face and survive. And not only that, be beloved and called child. We're in. You are known and you are valued, and you can participate fully in the life of God and the life of his people through Christ, because the insider became the outsider on the cross to bring the undeserving, the aliens, in as children. Isn't that amazing? You've been brought near. This is, this is why you want to be in. Because the heart knows it's lost, it's broken because of sin. I want to go home. I want to be in. And Jesus has made the way. And if you just trust in him, you have this. And the beauty of it is you have it whether you feel it or not. And that will help you feel it. Because you, you can say, I don't feel this. And we'll be like, well, I'm sorry you don't feel it. You still have it. I don't feel like an American citizen today. I still am. You're in. Uh, what does this mean for us in our approach towards outsiders? What was it that brought you into the face of the Father? It's because you're Dutch, right? Is it because of your denomination? Jesus was like, hold up, let me see your denomination card. That wasn't it. Uh, was it age? 
Was it how many times you gone to church? You know, you got to check it in. Here's my list, Lord. 73% of the Sundays I was there. Oh, okay. Not there. Is it because you have a clean past? You fit the human good person? I'm a good person? Better than my worst neighbor? You know, that kind of thing? I'm no Hitler. Were you as bad as Hitler, Jesus says? I was better. Oh, come on in. Oh, that's not it. Uh, is it is it your fashion sense? Is that what gets you in? Your youthfulness? Here we are, found of life. You know, everybody but four of us is like, nope, it's not fashion. Which four, Pastor Matt? I'm not telling. Not telling. What is the one criterion to bring you in? It's faith in Christ, right? That's it. And who can have that? Who can put their faith in Christ and be brought in? Anyone. Anyone. You just have to want it, right? Anyone can have full inclusion with God and his people through Jesus. And by the way, how bad does Jesus want you in? How bad did he want you in? What price is he willing to pay? The cross. Be in, fully in, with God himself, not through some performance, but through an honest, humble trust in the one who was the outsider to bring you near, through his cross. We can't think about how we approach outsiders without remembering this. We'll get it wrong. I was the outsider, and the ultimate insider did everything to bring me fully in, all by grace. Now look at the passion that occurs in us when we realize that we're insiders, the ultimate insiders in Christ. Look at Colossians 1.24. I think I have a slide for that. What does Paul say? Kind of a weird phrase for us. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So first of all, it's odd because, well, what two words did he just smash together? Sufferings? Bad. Rejoice. What? You you don't rejoice in sufferings. And Paul says, well, there's something I want so bad that I love so much, I'm willing to suffer for it. I'm happy to suffer for it because this is how bad I want it. That's passion, folks. When you're willing to suffer for something because you want it so bad, that's passion. What does he want? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Here's another phrase that's tough for us. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Some of us are like, wait, what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? What is this new gospel? Jesus died for us and then Paul had to add on some stuff? No, that's not what he means. Uh, Jesus' affliction was everything to save us, but there's something in the process that had to happen. What had to happen for you to know Christ? Don't be too complicated. Somebody told you. (laughs) That's what was lacking. Somebody told you of Jesus. Somebody told you about him. And that's what Paul says in verse 25. Look at verse 25. For the sake of the church, in verse 25 says, of which I became a minister. So I'm a minister for the church, God's people. He's brought near, right? I'm a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you. 
So God gave Paul something for others. And what does Paul do? To make the word of God what? Known. The word of God. So it's not Paul's word. It's not a conversation. It's a declaration. It's news. It's like a newspaper headline. This has been done. I want to make it fully known. Proclaim it. Now look at verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among, here's another phrase I want you to see, how great among the who? The Gentiles. Now Paul was a Jew. He grew up as a Pharisee, follow the rules, good guy. He's the insider because he's followed the rules. Who are the outsiders for Paul's background? Gentiles, they're the pagans, the bad people, the bad sinners. They don't know anything, stupid, foolish, outside. We're God's people, they're outside. Now look at what has happened to Paul. I'm willing to suffer, Paul says. I love this so much, that I'm going to go to whom? The Gentiles, outsiders. Why? So I can make known among them the word of God, what God has done, and here's what it adds up to. To to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ, this should shock us all. We're too Christianized because we read this and we're just like, Christ in you. Eat a sandwich, Christ in you. You guys, Christ. Who is that? In you? And he's talking to Gentiles. The outsiders can have Christ in them by the Spirit. It's, it's amazing. It's shocking. And this is what Paul says, I'm willing to suffer for that. Do you see the new passion? Paul has, brought, has been brought inside by Christ. And now Paul's passion is that he'll do anything so that there won't be any more outsiders. Did you hear it? No more outsiders. I'll go to the Gentiles, the outsiders, and they can have Christ. I'll suffer to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done so they can have Christ, Christ in them, so that they can be brought near. No more outsiders. When we see the grace of God for us, we were outsiders. He brought us in through Christ by his lavish love. It's got to bring in a new passion. We can no longer be happy with we're in and they're out. We cannot be happy. Is it still a reality? Yes. But we cannot be content with it. And Paul says, I'll do anything to preach Christ to the outsiders so that they can be brought near. No more outsiders. What's our passion? What should be our passion? Are you okay that there's still cabillions of people outside Christ? They don't know. The insider's passion is no more outsiders. So now how do we approach? How do we approach? Well, I think now you're ready when you see you've been brought near, you've been brought in. When you see the insider's passion, this is what's moving Paul along. This is what he wants in this church. This is what God wants in us. Now look at Colossians 4, verse 2. You see several ingredients towards our approach towards outsiders. 
Number one, our power. You see our power in verse two. What does Paul tell us to do? Continue. Continue what? Steadfastly. Steadfastly in what? Prayer. What should you keep doing? Keep praying. Do you ever have little uh, roller coaster seasons of like, oh, I'm so into prayer right now. I've got, I was getting up and reading my Bible, and I came to the early morning prayer meeting, and this is great. And then, oh, I'm tired and busy. And I haven't prayed in a while. That's why we need this, right? Continue. How do you continue? Steadfastly. What's that mean? Don't stop. Keep going. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep praying. That's your power. We're going to see what Paul's going to ask us to do in our approach towards outsiders. And many times we're going to be like, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. What do you need to do? Pray. Pray. This whole series on revitalization, getting new power and new energy in our relationship with God and what he's called us to do. We can't approach outsiders the way we need to without the power of prayer. Pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Two ingredients. What's the first one? Being watchful. What's that mean? Yeah, it's good. Alert. Don't we? Come on. Especially for meals. Now, there should be rules on prayers before meals. Don't you agree? I had a relative who thought when, it's, when you pray before Thanksgiving, it's kind of like he was waiting for the turkey to get cold before he would say Amen. We thank thee, O Lord. You know, it's godly to say a short prayer sometimes. Thanks for this food. These people work so hard for amen. And you honor them by eating it. Okay? But too many times, right? Why do we pray? Dear Lord, bless and help these people. Amen. Please be with them. Amen. Uh, Thanks for the food. Amen. I don't know. Does that sound watchful to you? What does watchful mean? It comes from the context of like you're in a fight. You better be alert. There's stuff going on. You should be alert to stuff going on in your own mind and your own heart. Remember we went through praying through conflict, praying through anxiety? Be watchful as to what's, what's in your head, in your heart, and pray it out. Pray over it. Be ready. Be ready for the day. I know I miss a lot of opportunities to interact with people because I'm not being watchful. I'm not alert. Be watchful. Also be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. This is the other side of the coin. You could get hopeless, desperate, everything's wrong. Don't, don't forget to what when you pray. Dear God, thank you. Let's pray for everything we're thankful for. You look up 20 minutes later, you still got more on the list. You remember his presence, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his power. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then Paul says, verse 3, he's thinking, oh, and you got to pray for this too. The insider's approach. Verse 3, at the same time, Paul says, pray what? Pray also for us. Two things. Number one, that God may, do you see it? That God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ for which I'm in prison. Open a door. And then verse 4, pray that I'll make it clear. First thing to ask, are you supposed to be praying for Paul and his verbal ministry? What's wrong with that? We've got to obey the Bible. Dear God, please help Paul. 
please open a door for him. I know this is weird, Lord, since he's no longer with us. Help him speak clearly. Okay, now that's being silly. What's the point? Who's doing what Paul's supposed, who, who's doing now, who's supposed to be doing what Paul was doing? Come on, right? This is for you. This is for me. Pray for us. Will you pray this for us? That God may open a door. For what? It's right there in the verse. Pray that God may open a door for the word. For the word. This is an openness or a receptivity to talk about the truth of God and to talk about Jesus and what he's done. And again, why? What is the whole point of this? We were outsiders and he brought us in. And what do we want to do for every outsider we can? Bring them in. How does it happen? Don't just be a nice person, right? They'll think you're a Mormon. <laughs> Nobody ever got saved because we were nice. Ever. Newsflash. A lot of non-Christians are nicer than we are. Open a door for the word. Open a door for the word. To declare the, ministry, the mystery of Christ. Give me a chance to talk about you, Lord Jesus. In a receptive place. And then, God, verse 4, I pray that you'd help me make it, what? Clear. Help me to talk about it in a way that makes sense to them. Help me get it real plain what I'm saying. You know, everybody out there in the world thinks that they can be right with God by being a good person. It comes natural to the human heart. I'm a good person. I've heard it a million times. It's in a million churches. I'm a good person. There are some things we have to make very clear at some point. No one has been good enough for a holy God. And people have to hear this and interact with it and confront that reality somehow. And it's our job to bring that persuasion somehow over time. Make it clear. And we have to make it clear that no one can make themselves right with God, but only one has done this. It's Jesus and who he is and what he's done. It has to be clear. And we have to be clear that you don't get this by doing stuff or going somewhere or, or atoning for your sins. We have to make it clear that Jesus is enough and what he's done is enough. And all you have to do is receive the free gift, free gift, free gift by grace through faith, right? Uh, it's a little known that yesterday wasn't just Halloween, it's Reformation Day. When the truths of the gospel kind of emerged several hundred years ago again, and we went, oh yeah. And some of those truths are these sola, it's Latin, only, only. Scripture alone, that's how we know God's word. Christ alone, he's the one who saves us. Grace alone, it's God's love for us that enables us. Through faith alone, that has to be clear. And we have to pray, oh God, give me an opportunity. And let me make it clear. You know, for Paul, opportunities abound. You, you may have seen that in verse 3 he said, uh, help, pray that there be an opportunity for me to share the word for which I'm in prison. In Philippians 1, he talks about how guards in the prison are becoming Christians. How many of you, you're writing the letter, you're in prison, pray for me please, and what are we praying for? 
pray that I'll get out of the stinking prison. He doesn't pray that. Pray that I'll have opportunities. And you can imagine the Roman centurion chained to Paul. You know, who's chained to whom at some point? So you're chained to me. Let's talk. (laughs) What do you think about God? How do you get right with God? Oh, my gosh. Can I go out for lunch? Oh, sorry, we're chained up. (laughs) Several of them are getting converted. You guys, we have opportunities we don't know about. We think we're suffering and it's all going wrong and we don't see the people we're rubbing shoulders with now because of this opportunities. Pray for an opportunity. Pray for clear declaration. Look at verse 3. We're still praying, I think. What else does he say? Verse, sorry, not verse 3, verse 5. Walk in what? Wisdom toward outsiders. What is wisdom? It's, a, it's knowledge skillfully applied in real life. Would you agree with that? It's not just, you can have knowledge without wisdom. I feel like I have that sometimes. Wisdom is knowledge skillfully applied in real life. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk means it's a lifestyle. So don't just turn your evangelism on for 30 minutes every once in a while. Oh, Jesus time. I'm glad that's over. Back to normal. We're always walking with the Lord. That's why we need to be prayerful, right? Oh, let me always walk with you. And then it brings up the lifestyle, this emphasis on your life as well as your words. They're, they see your life too. Do you have integrity? How do you handle your relationships? Do you have humility? Are you generous? Walk with wisdom towards outsiders. You want to have a winsome, attractive kind of a life so outsiders are like, hmm, hmm. And again, let's back up. What's the whole point of this? We were the outsider. We were brought in. And we have a passion now that there be no more outsiders and they be brought in. So what are we doing? We're walking with wisdom. Why? We want them brought in. We want them right with God. Walk with wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. There are people in your life that you get this much time with. Let's be honest. For all of us, we get this much time with one another. Okay? Some of you are like, when will this end? Others of you are like, I hope this never ends. I got good news and bad news. It will end. You got this much time with people. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe it's five years. But you got this much time. What are you going to do with it? If you know you're an outsider who's about inside, been brought inside by Jesus, and you got this much time with somebody, what are you going to do? Walk with wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time. And it's great he says wisdom. He doesn't say, make sure you do the four spiritual laws in the first five minutes of the conversation. Don't you, don't you feel a little helpless? You're like, you're not giving me enough. Walk with wisdom? I need, a, I need an eight-step process for what to do with every time, every time I encounter someone. And guess what? There isn't an eight-step process. There's discernment. There's prayer. There's different, different things for different times. Sometimes there's questions. Sometimes there's silence. Sometimes there's speaking. Sometimes there's confrontation. How do you know which one? Pray. Do your best. God can use you. Not only that, look at verse 6. 
Let your speech always be what? Gracious. Always gracious. So when do you get to not be gracious? Never. What's gracious mean? Gracious is the, the love of God, right? And so, really, that's why, we, that's why we went back to the basics. You're an outsider. You've been brought in. That's his grace. That's his grace. And so we want his love that brings other people in. We want it in, burning in, echoing in all of our speech. There is the motive. There is the, the flavor of the moment. So that means we're never self-righteous or domineering or insulting. A phrase I find helpful is win the heart, not the argument. You ever won an argument and totally ostracized someone? You won. You knew. And you showed them that you knew and they didn't. Did you bring them in? Yeah, it's about truth, of course. But win the heart, not the argument. Be gracious. And remember, you were once an outsider. You were once lost. But not only that, Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with what? Salt. The, the Roman mind had some thoughts on this. Salt gives the idea of spice. You ever had food you couldn't taste? And you're like, what's the point? You've taken all the joy away. Okay? Are, do you have a taste in people's life? Or are you so bland they don't notice your conversation, was it so bland that it's just like everything else they've heard? What is it that could make somebody go, there's a different flavor? It's, it's the presence of the gospel somehow in your words, how you look at life, a question you ask. This is something that makes them go, notice the difference. It's not just the same boring everything everyone's giving all the time. There's something, Jesus is here in this conversation. He's lurking, salty. It means preservation. You can have gracious speech that challenges, right? Of course, otherwise you couldn't have any of the writings of Paul or any of the words of Jesus. Gracious speech can challenge, it's salty. Also salt meant for the ancient world wit, the right answer at the right time. You've, you've, you've thought about things, you've prayed it up and maybe... God gives you the, oh, I think this is it. And it's just, and people go, huh. That's what we're aiming for. Doesn't it sound hard? We're praying, God, do this, do this, do this. Work this in us. Let your speech be, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, how to what? Answer each person. That's why there's no, like, manual. Every person, they got a different story. They got different obstacles. They got different struggles. They got different problems. They got different needs, different doubts. I think that's why we need to listen. Try to know them. Care about them. Jesus didn't treat you like a cookie cutter. He's met you individually and personally. And that's what we're called to do like him. So that we know how, what's best in my interaction with this person. Why? So that, I can, so that I can bring the outsider in. We need to pray, don't we? D.A. Carson says a lot of prayer doesn't happen because we don't plan to pray. We need to pray. I just, 
answer this to yourself. When are you going to pray that you would feel more of the compassion of Jesus and the amazing reality that he has brought you, the outsider, in? When are you going to pray that God would make you ready, that he'd give you open doors with relationships, that he'd help you speak the word clearly, that you'd do everything you could in your power to be winsome, attractive, to bring the outsiders in? We need to pray. Come Thursday night, that November 12th, as we pray for our missionaries, it's going to inspire us, it's going to support them. Come to that, pray, pray in your time with God that this might happen in your life. Let's pray that God would do this through us. Then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what does that meal remind us of as we take that meal? It reminds us that Jesus, the insider, came and gave us himself, and he feeds us with himself by faith. And in him, guess what? We're in. Let's pray. Father, uh, your grace is amazing. Lord, we remember we deserve... We deserve your wrath, and you've been so kind. And you've reversed the score where we go from enemies to children, where we go from lost to inheritors, and it's all through your grace. Thank you. Lord, fill us with the, your passion for the outsider. God, it's hard. We, we wane. We get afraid. We get uninterested. Fill us with passion and help us to pray that just as you have done everything to bring us near, that we would be willing even to suffer to proclaim you so that other outsiders would be brought near. And give us wisdom to do that. Gracious speech. Make us salty. Ready for interactions with each person, making the most of the time. It's not for our sake. It's not to judge them. It's, a, it's so they might be brought near, as you have done so for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.